0: Hello and welcome to the Quiet Connections podcast. I'm Stacey. What if your panic was organic? What if struggling to say the things you want to say means you could actually be on the edge of a word wise spiral? What does it mean to be calm And what if we're all learning how to navigate and steer the wheel along a winding road with limitations and obstacles to look out for? And perhaps sometimes we're just oversteering a little bit too much. Sounds interesting, right? It is, and today we're going to be exploring all of this and more with Origins of Life researcher and a pioneering psychoproctologist, Jeremy Sherman, PhD. Shy until his mid-30s, Jeremy has his own story to share around how he overcame being tongue-tied and feeling anxious. Moving from what's wrong with me to asking the fundamental question of what's up with us humans? Jeremy was truly fascinating to chat with and I'm sure this will leave you with some intriguing questions and thoughts to explore and consider for yourself. So without further ado, let's hear from Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you join us today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, and it is so nice to be here with you.
0: So, I mean, it's always a good place to start by hearing a little bit about our guests. So if you'd like to share a little bit about who you are, what what do you do? And you know, what are you really passionate about?
1: Uh, sounds good. Um and since this is, uh, this is quiet connections, I'll put it in that context. Um, I was, uh, shy and anxious growing up. Um, I would say until I was about 37, um, uh, a lot of my thoughts were about what was wrong with me. Um, uh, and I wasn't always quiet. I threw a lot of tantrums too. Um, but, uh, but, and my parents, uh, I, I asked my parents to send me to a psychoanalyst at age uh, eight. I did four days a week, a uh, thousand hours total on the couch with a Freudian analyst, and then went back at 30, 34 or so and did some of that. But, um, but there was a transformation and now I'm a famously mouthy person. Um, so uh, in that context, that's a that's useful context for this. How did that transformation come about? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and also, it makes me in some ways not an authority on what it's like to live late adulthood with a quieter temperament. I'm not like that. In fact, um, th- I, I decided about five years ago that I wasn't good company um, in partnership. And the way I described it was that I was glad my lack of appetite finally caught up with my lack of aptitude. <laughs> I, <laughs> that I was just too much at close range. That I make a good friend, but I'm, um, but you, you want to take me in, um, in small quantity, um, the, or at least have the have the power to leave the, <laughs> um, leave the residence in a way that <laughs> is prohibited by in, um, by partnership. Anyway, um, but I would say the transformation for me, um, to get back to biography a bit, came about because I started to realize I, I got less interested in what was wrong with me than I, got, than I was in what's up with us, what's up with humans. I turned my attention. I had been a environmental activist. Um, it, it, that was my first career and um, feeling stymied, like I wasn't making much progress, that we weren't getting leverage, and in fact, that there was a big backlash against the movement that I thought would simply overtake the world. Um, uh, I kind of sobered up and got interested in us, in psychology, um, and then in evolutionary psychology, and then in evolutionary theory. And now um, uh, I have uh, I do what I call uh, cradle-to-grave research. So I'm an origins-of-life researcher working on the chemical origins of organisms. I work on the... So it's cradle, that's the cradle. The grave is our grave situation these days. So in a way, I still am interested in the environmental environmentalist issues and other issues as well. Um, so the, the origins of life, um, uh, the evolution of language, and... My recent work, a lot of my work has focused on a topic I call psychoproctology, which is uh, the diagnosis, treatment, and, uh, and prevention of a-hole behavior, that is the behavior of buttheads. And the <laughs> fundamental question there is, what is a butthead since it can't just be whomever I happen to buttheads with? Yes. And there are quiet buttheads, too. That is, there's agree, a bunch yeah. of quiet <laughs> ways to be um, intransigent, uh, to be a know-it-all, all of that. Um, there are polite a-holes as well, uh, it, from my perspective. But, uh, but a lot of my work has gone into simply trying to figure out a more objective definition for the out-of-bounds behavior um, that people can engage in. But one of the learnings along the way is that humans would be an uncommonly anxious species. We, uh, if you just compare what a dog could worry about at night to what a human could worry about, um, I think of this as a product of us having language. We're a symbolic species. We're unlike other species this way, and that means that we can um, we can. Uh, imagine all sorts of uh, past and future threats, real and imagined, um, and missed opportunities, uh, and it would make us an uncommonly anxious species. So, some of my work is simple, and I do think of I think of being an a-hole as also a possibility afforded to us by language. I and mean, there are lots of predators and super predators, but there are but being an a-hole is a human thing. Um, right. and, uh, and it's also, I think, afforded by language. Anyway, I spend my day writing and researching and publishing um, in, in all the mediums. I'm trying to keep up with you youngsters. I have free <laughs> podcasts of my own. Um, it's not easy at 65. Um, and then in the evening, I play music, uh, which is interestingly where I am most shy. That is, I can talk fluidly, but I can't always solo fluidly. So last night I played with a band um, that I had felt triumphant with a few weeks ago because I had played with, um, with uh, a calm competence, what I'll call confidence. Like that I is a calm that. confidence. Yeah. Um, and last night um, I didn't with the very <laughs> same band. <laughs> so, so that's where I work on my shyness issues is in, is in playing music. I'm a bass player and singer in... Um, in jazz funk soul bands and um and and it's funny because i never have that problem singing i only have it playing bass you know so (laughs) works everyone's got them
0: (laughs) i'm i'm literally already sitting here in awe of like i don't know where to begin with this conversation because i feel like there's so many things that we could go down and explore (laughs) um but you sound so fascinating And the type of things that, that you're exploring sound really interesting as well. Um, well, seeing as, as I can't decide where we want to start, like which, which part do you really want to dive into? What do you really want to share with our audience today?
1: Ah, well, um, anything useful. Uh, so you know, I was thinking about this. It was interesting because one of the guys I played with last night is very quiet by nature. Um, he was, uh, he's a violinist. He plays beautifully, He plays exquisitely. He was one of the reasons why I I was shy last night. He, he's got fluency that I don't have playing music, but he's very shy and quiet. And I gave him a ride home afterwards and we got talking about it. And he talked about how is in, in his childhood, uh, he had a very volatile dad. He learned, um, that whenever anyone asks him a question, um, he, uh, he, he his first response is silence and a wariness like what is the ulterior motive here what's going on for this person what, what are the landmines I better not step on um, because that's what he did with his father during his formative years. And I was kind of surprised by how calmly he was answering my questions. He says, well, yeah, but you work in psychology. I I know this is kind of an area of interest for you. Um, so one thing, just, just thinking about your audience, is um, I hope they know uh, how intimidating quiet is for us multi-types. It it's I I don't know if that comes up, but you have extraordinary power. We have no idea what you're thinking. And, we, and <laughs> never
0: actually thought about it that way.
1: <laughs> we have no idea what we're thinking, and we and we assume the worst.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's that's actually really fascinating. Um it doesn't actually come up very often because obviously if, if I think about like the type of clients that, that I work with, but also my own experiences. So I grew up feeling very shy, feeling very socially anxious. Um, would shut down when someone would ask me questions or strike up a conversation with me. And the interesting thing is that you always, I suppose, like, as, when you're experiencing that, your assumption is that everybody else is thinking the worst of you. But it sounds like other people are also thinking that as well. Like, it doesn't really make that's a difference right, as to what right. side do, you're
1: on. <laughs> <laughs> anybody who's worth their salt um, has doubts about themselves. and We all have anxieties. Um, And I think they're healthy. In fact, if you don't want to be an a-hole, expect some anxiety. Indeed, the kind of confidence that I seek these days, a calm confidence, is when I worry on opposite sides of the same behavior. That is, am I too arrogant or not arrogant enough for the situation? Am I too honest or not honest enough? If I'm worrying in equal measure on opposite sides, that's as close to centered as I think I can get. Um, uh, Yeah, I I want to be equally anxious um, uh, depending on the circumstance, because though we tout as moral absolute something like honesty, we don't mean it, nobody means that. Um, Honesty is juxtaposed to tact or diplomacy um, uh, just as realism is uh, juxtaposed with hope, so we often talk about that we should be totally realistic and totally hopeful because they both sound like virtues. So just maximize them. But no, that's they're 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 counterposed. They're they're in conflict with each other. Um, yeah. So, and th- this this even came up last night. the The guy I was talking to was was talking about how uh, he was wary, as if it was a bad thing. And I said, it depends on the situation. You know, there are parts of this world, let's say Red China back in the in the 50s, um, or, or any place that's overrun by con artists where you would not survive if you weren't wary. Only the paranoid survive in such situations. We can live in a, a society that happens to be safer. I do. I live in Berkeley, California. Um, uh, and so we can down calibrate our wariness and then people will talk as though that's the formula everywhere. It's not the formula everywhere. We all need to be, uh, we want to avoid being too wary and not wary enough, obviously. (laughs) And notice this difference. We think of the accusation, you're arrogant Mm -hmm. and you're too arrogant as synonymous. They don't, they don't actually mean the same. Because the first one, to say you're arrogant, um, is, uh, is a claim that arrogance is always bad. Well, arrogance is a pejorative term for what we also call self assertion, boundary setting, any number of things. And it is worth noting um, that it's rather arrogant to declare yourself the judge of who is arrogant. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh,
0: a big paradox, really. No, isn't and, it? <laughs> and, and
1: that's actually fundamental here. That is, any time a moral uh, principle can be described as a paradox, that it can be, can be rephrased as a paradox, it exposes that it's actually a moral dilemma, not a moral principle. Uh, this is fundamental in my thinking. So, for example, intolerance is bad. Be intolerant of intolerance. You shouldn't be negative. Uh, you, know, you shouldn't be judgmental, which is a judgment do not be negative, yeah. which is negative, all of those point to the fact that these are dilemmas that we will deal with lifelong. You know, when should, when should you be intolerant and when should you be tolerant? So that's why my confidence comes from worrying equally about whether, um, you know, I'm, I'm too judgmental or not sufficiently judgmental for the situation, too intolerant or not intolerant enough for the situation,
0: I think I'm getting it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is it because they almost balance each other out that then you become kind of centered in, in the middle of the two?
1: Yes, but it, it, I would I would phrase it a different way. And this actually comes. This right. is a this is a standard metaphor for life. Life as a winding road, but it's actually um, I came back to it through my understanding of what selves are. This is the origins of life research. Um, uh, selves and their selves and trying are mysteries to us. We don't have a scientific explanation for them. That's what I've been working on for 25 years in collaboration with a Harvard and Berkeley neuroscience professor uh, who I've been working with. I just had the good luck to fall in uh, with a guy who, though I didn't have his uh, his credentials, was happy to explore the real questions uh, with anybody who's really engaged and I was totally engaged. This guy's the love of my life. He's a frumpy um, the, a professor here in Berkeley. We take dog walks every week and we think think through other elements of the, of the research. But the, for, but the core question is this, um, inanimate things are not selves and they're not trying to do anything. Not even computers, not even smart computers, not even AI. It's not trying to do anything. Organisms try their selves that try on their own behalf. They work, they make effort on their own behalf. Nothing we do defies the laws of physics and chemistry. And yet we get something different out of us than what we get out of of inanimate objects, which are not trying to do anything. We exist through hustle. Like I'm gonna, today I am, uh, I have every intention of regenerating 240 billion cells I'm gonna do that. I mean, it's impressive, right? And it's a slouchy day. I don't have much planned, but that's one of the things on my (laughs) agenda apparently. Um, And I'm gonna do this silently, without feeling it, without noticing that I'm doing it, uh, other than mentioning it here. Um, I do it without thinking or thinking or feeling, thinking about or feeling it. Um, So all organisms do that. That's what we have in common. So what is trying and how did it start? What is it? I would argue is a constraint and constraints relate to roads. And uh, that is, we we are limitations on what happens in physics and chemistry. And so our work yields a perfectly physical, chemical explanation for how the first self-regenerative constraints emerge from simple chemistry. And I think of myself as constraints that happen to channel energy into work that regenerates the self-same constraints. That is, I am a constraint. So I am a constraint riding on the external constraints, and they're changing. That's why it's a winding road. So if you think about what it takes to drive on a winding road, it takes self-control or self-discipline, interacting with external controls or constraints on your ability to stay Alive. That is, imagine that there's brick walls on either side of this road, and it's winding, which means that you have to turn the wheel in order to stay more or less centered on the road. That's so another thing about it. I'm not I'm not on a train track. I am uh, I'm on a road. I can be in I can do a variety of different things and still stay on the road. I'm not arrowing, I'm narrowing. That is, I'm limiting, but I'm not limiting to an absolute fine point what I do. So for someone to say, never be arrogant, is a little bit like saying, uh, never turn your steering wheel to the left, always turn it to the far right and keep it there. That's no way to w- ride a winding road. Your circumstances change, and you change in response to them. So that's how I think about that these days.
0: Yeah, that that helps really clarify that, actually. To me, that sounded like it's all about responding to our environment. Yeah. So whatever those external circumstances are around us all depends on actually what response is needed in, in that moment. That's
1: right. though, so, And that, that's, that's quite right. But it's important um, that when you're dealing with somewhat shy people to point out that you're doing it on your own behalf. All selves are a bit selfish. We have to look out for ourselves or we die. Um, yeah. So it's basically how do you use your environmental circumstances Um how do you how do you take in uh, what's useful and keep out what's not useful? You know, how, you're attending to the threats and opportunities, the openings on the winding road of life, and the constraints on the winding road of life road of life that could kill you or damage your status or all of that. So, realistically, if you step back, if you zoom out from from all of this, and then contemplate shy people, mm-hmm. that's a Perfectly appropriate response. It's a shock that we we drive so adeptly, but if you if you if it takes you a while to think of what to say, um, uh, I think that's natural. It's it's a total cluster flux what we're dealing with in reality. I mean, because imagine not only are you watching out for the brick walls on either side of the road, you're watching out for other drivers, and who knows what they're, who knows what's going on with them? They could be lost in some word fueled imagination um, uh, that has them veering into you on the road or out to get you or anything. So yeah, it's a natural response. Don't panic, it's organic.
0: (laughs) Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, that that, that was a really nice reframe actually because I do feel like a lot of us who are shy and who experience a lot of anxiety in social situations, we do tend to really judge ourselves on, on that shyness when actually it is a very natural response but there are also things that we can do to help support ourselves and change how we're responding in those situations as well
1: that's right that's right so yeah and there's paradox in what i just said don't panic your panic is organic um uh don't panic about panicking um uh so it's right in general that's my that's my game it's recursion it's folding things back in on themselves <laughs> and finding what what's underneath that and I want to say one more thing about what helped me get over shyness, um, but mine was probably a peculiar version of it. So I was, the, I was the third child of four boys, and my father and my older brothers were um, shockingly verbal. Um, they were good at it, and they, they knew it. They had a swagger about them, and I was not. I was really slow waking up. I was an incredibly late starter. I mean, dim, dim to the point where, um, I, I had to, um, I had to find my status by other means. I became the problem child of the family. Um, I even have a recording of my father describing me in an interview as the runt of the family. Bless his soul. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I'm grateful for it in retrospect. I was tongue-tied through most of my childhood, and my brothers could dance circles around me. Um, but it did motivate me, in my case, and I had the, the luxury, the freedom, to, uh, not afforded to everyone, um, to be able to uh, manifest that anxiety in study. I do the same with music now. When I have a bad uh, musical performance, like I did yesterday, or one that doesn't meet my standards, they were okay with it. They didn't seem to. They were a bit too busy thinking about whether they were playing okay. We had actually a <laughs> wonderful conversation about that at the beginning. It was delightful about how uh, how anxious everyone was as we sat down to play together. Um,
0: that but, seems to usually be the case as well. <laughs> that's
1: right. That's the way we all. This is the thing. We are. This is the. We are all human. Everybody's going through this stuff. But when I am um, punked in some interaction, um, these days it motivates me to try to get better. So I came home and woodshed it yesterday. That is, I practiced. I give the uh, term from jazz you go out to the woodshed to practice. So I woodshed it last night, inspired by my inadequacy at the, uh, at the, uh, at the gig. Um, and, uh, and I think I did that long-term, about feeling so tongue-tied as a child. Um, I got really into words. Um, And uh, when I've taught, there are tongue-tied students who are trying to spit something out, and other students might smirk at their inadequacy, but I look at them as the most promising students around, because I think they're on the lip of what I'll call the word-wise spiral, which is uh, you're trying to you're you're trying to spit out something that's just beyond your vocabulary, which motivates you to get more vocabulary. And words are not just how we communicate; they're also how we think. So the uh, the better vocabulary and grammar you get, uh, I don't mean just proper grammar, but the grammar by which you can handle switchbacks, like the all those, nevertheless, is still. Uh, and yet, all those terms that allow you to put together more complicated ideas—the wiser you get. Because my definition of wisdom actually comes from the Serenity Prayer. Um, uh, I, I'm, I don't. I've been, meet, I've been meeting people lately who don't know it, which surprises me.
0: I don't. Fabulous! Know.
1: <laughs> this is wonderful. No, it's a, it's a big.
0: Do share with It's us? a big
1: deal. Uh, um, it, I, you might know it by it by just hearing it, God grant me, and I'm an atheist, but God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, well, these are two opposite moves. Um, that is, the serenity to accept and the courage to try to change something are opposites. If if you, if they weren't opposites, they sound like they're not opposites, you should always be serene, you should always be courageous, um, you could never be too serene, you could never be too courageous. You hear arguments like that uh, for one side or the other side. Buddhism, for example, tends to promote the, ser- uh, the serenity and um, a lot of business texts uh, uh, and political speakers will talk about, you know, we can do it, uh, you, can, you can do anything, all that sort of stuff, which is the courage to try to change things. But you, you obviously can't if you, if you could do both all the time. Uh, you wouldn't need the wisdom to know the difference between when to do which. Um, wisdom to know is a peculiar statement. Um, what do we mean by it? the wisdom to notice is what I think. I mean, peculiar statement because wisdom to know, um, is it knowledge or is it wisdom? Those things are basically assumed to be different. So I think of it as wit- wisdom to to keep trying to notice the differences that will make a difference to when you should do one thing or its opposite, and that manifests across all sorts of different tough judgment calls we're all dealing with, like intolerance and in, uh, intolerance or judgment and non-judgment, all of those. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so it's the cultivation of that wisdom that I think goes hand in hand with gaining vocabulary. Um, I don't read books sitting down anymore. I, I gave that up after my PhD. I had read a lot of them that way. I'm a very restless person. I'm fidgety, um, uh, which probably goes along with my mouthiness. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, um, but I listen to a book, at least a book a week, um, and that flow of words over my ears has enhanced my vocabulary. Um, it's much easier than sitting down to read, at least for a guy like me. If you're, if you're a quiet person, you can connect with a book probably more effectively than someone like me. But, but one way or another, main, mainlining, just taking in huge quantities of well-formed prose, I think helps, um, at least in my case. And it wouldn't have been motivated in me if, it, if I weren't punked so completely in my childhood. I mean, just tongue-tied. could never keep up with these guys. Um, I think we're all balancing three different kinds of fittedness we're trying to achieve. Um, We have to fit reality or we die. We have to fit society. And we have to fit ourselves. That is, we have to feel comfort in our own skins. Um, And And there
0: might be a lot of conflict between those three.
1: Yes, there are. And in the long term, adapting to reality matters most. In the short term, for all of us, adapting internally, um, that is trying to come up with interpretations, conceptual, language-based interpretations that reconcile ourselves so that that unpleasant emotions don't come up. That's the most vivid and visceral for all of us. Got to face it.
0: So the, the other question I want to ask is then what paradoxes can you see within like social anxiety or shyness?
1: I bet we can come up with one. <laughs> um, oh, well, there's this one uh, straight off. Uh, any movement that is um, is asserting the the right to be shy is making a bold move on behalf of shyness. Um, Right. And so the shy people's rights movement has that paradox built into it.
0: Ah, OK. OK. Yeah. <laughs> so, quiet connections, I guess, is part of that.
1: <laughs> you asked the question. I hadn't yeah, even thought of it before. That. And <laughs> it I bet, we, mean, can, I bet we can phrase it uh, be bold about your shyness is a yeah. simple example of it. Um, assert your shyness. Yeah. And by the way, that actually has deep roots. I mean, I'm, I, I think it's telling that all of the sacred stories, Jesus, Muhammad, and the others, are, are about benighted heroes. The hero's journey where, you, um, where uh, against great resistance you prevail would be, I mean, that's the heart of all romantic fiction, um, uh, but it would also be really handy. An, an a-hole, a butthead, is someone who employs confirmation bias, so that no matter what gets said to them, no matter what challenges they face, they can claim triumph for it. Um, and so that means that it's wonderful to have a, uh, a an avatar like Jesus, because um, because he, whenever you're losing, you can claim that you are um, you are being oppressed, like Donald Trump did, does. And whenever you're winning, you can claim that this is evidence of your eternal victory, that you will win happily ever after there, thereafter. So the boldness, shyness thing, it, it, I just try to watch out for the brick walls on either side of the road, and, um, and they're not brick. It's, it's soft shoulders. It's way more vague than that. With the outer edges of the road that I, we're all winding on, um, is very hard to discern. It's not easy to know where to draw the lines. Um, uh, you, therefore, you you know you're you're trying to stay on the safe side of both sides, which is a challenge. Um, but but there would be an easy way out for shy people, where they could say, "I was shy, and um, it is my uh, it is my right now to assert myself." So I, you can see this in the. Uh, I have known some yin intimidators. these are yin in Taoist thought means uh feminine receptive all of that um so there are plenty of bullies who can employ that and one version of it is uh what at one time I described as post-traumatic ass syndrome <laughs> um, and this was inspired by my best friend in um in grammar school who later became a right-wing rabbi um far right-wing rabbi. We had a few exchanges in later years, and they didn't go well <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, I mean, major Trump supporter, uh, Sarah Palin's his hero, right. you know, all this sort of stuff. And everything was justified by the fact that the Jews had suffered. So it's post-traumatic, mm-hmm. and the guy thinks he deserves to have his say over everything, um, because he was once uh um, oppressed. I, I did a exercise with some of my psych students where I had them go back and into their, uh, their bloodline history and find a time when they were, when their tribe was both the, oppre- was the oppressors and a time when they were the oppressed. Cause I, pretty soon we're going to reach full saturation on that where everybody's done every race or yeah, every race will have been on either side of that. Mm. Um, but anyway, the, that would be one way it would manifest is that there might be shy people and I could actually be one of them come up, come to think of it, <laughs> who, who gets mouthy with a vengeance. Right? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't put it past me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Um, so what would be one top strategy that you would to share with our listeners today?
1: I, I guess I want to highlight three, and the first is, oh, and one of them is the first thing I said, and I don't remember it, but it'll come back to me maybe, <laughs> or back. maybe to you. Okay, one is remember the power. No, actually, I'm going to simplify it down to one. Um, this uh, Tweedy guy I described as the love of my life a while ago was um, is a quieter guy. He's he's his affect is quite flat. Um, And, uh, dealing with him reminded me of the way my father described his first dinner with my mother's parents. My mother came from a, a quieter family. Um, and, uh, and they didn't talk much at the dinner table. My father came from a rollicking, rousing family, and my father had a bloody nose over the first dinner. And I always always imagined that it's like some kind of strange vacuum pressure that sucked the blood out of his nose. So there was a way in which being around this guy, because I came from a melodramatic family, verbal melodramatic. We were living in the 70s in Marin County, California, where your feelings were truth. And so everybody was going around asserting themselves, that, yeah, uh, and my mother especially, because uh, she was finally coming into her own that way. Um, and so I had no idea where this guy stood. And over 25 years working with him, I have learned the power of silence, the power of flatness. I was always worried this guy was going to stop uh, giving me audience. I found his company so important to me. And yet, I was worried that he was thinking this disdainful thoughts about me. I suffered from imposter syndrome. He was a Harvard neuroscientist, you know, and I I wasn't by a long shot. Um, it turned out that his love was reliably, presently, steadily there and never mentioned. I think the closest to a warm thing he's ever said to me is that our collaboration has been excellent. <laughs> 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 and every year I allow myself one cheesy remark to him about how much I adore working with him and how adore hanging out with him. So that may not that may be more relevant for a person like me, unfortunately. And uh, I could take another crack at it. Maybe the word-wise spiral is another thing I would recommend. I did like Just that. Spend some yeah. time with words, get some fluency if you can. If you can, it doesn't come naturally to everybody, but but try to get it because you'll think more interesting thoughts. And I also want to say that as a guy who lived a very public life for many years, um, getting comfortable with my solitude has been among my greatest joys, and a lot of us are figuring this out now. I mean, the world has gotten so entertaining. There are so many things to do with yourself, Um, and to just follow your nose. As Machiavelli described it, he's the founder of political science— he would be out in the world having frustrating conversations. He was exiled to the country, um, to the countryside. Uh, he would ha- have frustrating conversations all day. At night, he would wash, put on his best clothes, and go and have the best uh, possible conversations with the greatest minds in, in history by reading. And mm-hmm. so there is something to be said for that.
0: I love that. Thank you. And also, actually, just on the note of you talking about the the words, um, it's actually quite interesting because I found that over the last year, I've become a bit of a nerd for looking up the meanings of words. Yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yes. And that's so, so that's easy.
0: Just, it's so lovely. It's, it's so fascinating there like you, like personally, what I found is that I've like experienced a whole another level of, of meanings of, of what words mean when you start looking at like the, the root word. Oh, like yeah. Where no, they I, come I, from. And it's like, oh, I look wow, up just,
1: etymology almost every day. I mean, Yeah. they're endlessly fascinating we should appreciate how weird life for is for this mid-sized mammal that recently acquired language which completely alters how we adapt to reality other organisms just have reality to deal with we've got that and our imaginations i just appreciate what a weird thing it is to be us (laughs)
0: And the fact that we are all weird. <laughs> that's,
1: right, that's right.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, well, it has been so lovely, actually, um, speaking to you and listening to your thoughts. I I feel like I need to go process everything that you've just taken. <laughs> Take <said>. a nap.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but it's been really, really fascinating, and I really appreciate your time.
1: Delightful to hear. I'm glad to hear Glad to hear. All right. Have me back anytime. A pleasure to be here. Oh, and anybody who's interested, look me up on jeremysherman.com. You'll find way too much of me there. (laughs) Lovely.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Jeremy.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: (laughs) How interesting was that? I want to share some final words from Jeremy that I received in an email after our call, some additional thoughts on what else helped him work through shyness fallibilism, the recognition that any choice could fail, that no behaviours or predictions or ideas can reach 100% certainty. We're all just guessing, not that all guesses are equally valid, just some guesses are better than others. I'm a devout fallibilist ironist, My irony is my way of putting on the table that I'm just trying to make the best guesses I can. My mantra is, no matter how confident I am in a bet, I'm still more confident that it is a bet. I stopped being shy when I recognised and embraced fallibilism. I stand corrected with my dignity intact. taken more comfort from fallibilism from than from anything else i've ever discovered so some additional food for thoughts there not many of us are comfortable with ambiguity and with that sense of uncertainty in life but we are all just guessing and we can learn how to get better at making better guesses i loved Jeremy's metaphor throughout this, um, throughout our chat together, of looking at life like driving down a winding road and how having to navigate the obstacles to keep driving in the centre of that road, that it's about learning how to discern the appropriate responses to the appropriate situations and environments that we're in in that present moment. The chances are that there were moments in your life where perhaps adopting a self-protective, quieter, shy, withheld or avoidant response was actually the best approach for you to take in those particular situations. And this is often very true when we're younger and have less ability to self-defend. It's the rabbit playing dead when it can no longer outrun the fox. This does tend to become a problem for us or we start to see it as a problem at least when we continue to use those same approaches in response to situations that don't necessarily require that response anymore. That's when I feel like we start to wish that we could maybe do something else instead that we could act differently. And this often shows up for us saying, I wish I wasn't anxious or I wish I was more confident. But what if that's our way of recognising that we've been turning our steering wheel all the way to the left and that there's space in that for us to practice using discernment to then explore what other responses we could adopt that are more suited to the present moment situations that we'll be in. And sometimes that might require an anxious response, other times it could be appropriate to be quieter, or it might actually be safe to assert yourself or speak up or express an idea. The other part of that, of course, is then we might recognize that we need to learn and practice how to do those different things, how to speak up when we know that it's okay to. And that's where I feel the confidence comes in, the calm plus confidence, being the result of us reaching a new level of competence with something that we feel comfortable with doing it. It's us learning new skills, new patterns of behavior and continuing to practice them. It comes with taking comfort zone stretches or looking at how we are perceiving ourselves and what we're capable of and challenging some of those interpretations and beliefs that we're holding about who we are. And you know what? We're going to make mistakes along the way. It's going to be clunky when we first start learning and that's absolutely okay. If you'd like to learn more about this, then please do head on over to quietconnections.co.uk forward slash free gifts to check out some more of our free resources. Or if you'd like to reach out to Jeremy, then you can do so at jeremysherman.com. Tune in again soon. And in the meantime, stay connected.